Thank you, thank you. How we doing? Come on, isn't that awesome about Joanne? How good is God? Like, I don't know, I'm just buzzing. I'm buzzing with excitement at, at Jesus this morning. Like I think about Jessica Butts. For those of you who weren't here, we posted on her Instagram as well, but her testimony of the Lord healing like this mass on her ovary. I'm like, God, you are so good. And now this with Joanne. Yeah, and here she is this morning leading us in worship, totally healed by Jesus. And then Elizabeth Wilson, one of our amazing worship leaders before the Lord called them to Israel, he was medically documented never to be able to have children, and they're pregnant. So I'm just like, Jesus, you're so good. You're so worthy of our worship and the embrace building to, to reach and love our city. Just, and I'm sure there's countless testimonies. Please. Tell us what God's doing in your life. We want to celebrate together what Jesus is doing in our midst. Amen? Amen. Come on, just take a moment and just say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your graciousness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your favor. You know, I was just reminded with these testimonies, this, the beginning this year, we had our Seek, First story, our Seek First series, and it's like, I shared just from my own heart that have just been contending to see more miracles in our midst and invited us as a church body to contend and believe the Lord for. So Lord, I just feel like we've seen nothing yet. Holy Spirit, would you have your way in us even more, Lord? You have worked countless miracles in our midst over the last, what is it, 13, 14 years at this church and in, in, this, in this nation, in, in, this, in the world. And Lord, we just press in, press in and we just want to move your heart and see you move and make way for you to move and do what you're so good at doing, which is moving mountains, which is removing obstacles, which is healing broken bodies. Lord, for those that are still waiting and contending for a miracle, God, we just say, would you make a way where there is no way? Would you make a stream in the desert for any marriage, any body, any person in this room, even mental illness? felt the Lord say, mental illness this morning, would you heal it? Well, Lord, we thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for the word you've placed in my heart that you just began to stir a couple weeks ago. God, I ask that you would just open our hearts, you would open our minds, you'd open our ears to what you want to say. Lord, that it's not by accident we're sitting here this morning. It's not by accident that that we get to hear your word, your word which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and can cut away and work miracles. And so, Lord, would you illuminate your word to us this morning? Would you speak from heaven to us? Would you come and encounter us, Lord? What is church without the person of Jesus? What is church without the presence of God? What is church without an image of the Father sending his one and only son to this earth to die on our behalf? Lord, we make ourselves aware of your nature, of your likeness, of your person. We make ourselves aware of you. The one who satisfies the deepest desires, the deepest longings. When we tried everything the world had to offer, when we tried drugs, when we tried pornography, when we tried gossip and lying and success and fame, when we tried it all, Jesus, at the end there was you and you were the only one that mattered. That song is just wrecking me. I can't wait for it to come out on the album so I can listen to it over and over again. <laughs> there is no one, none found worthy in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. 
No one like you, none beside you. Holy, 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 holy are you, Jesus. Lord, the, the world tries to tell us how to get over things and how to heal our issues, but we know that there's, there's no greater freedom than found in you. So we look to you today, the author and perfecter of our faith, as we are transformed into your likeness. In Jesus' name. I just feel like, can we just like cry together and that be the sermon? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're just getting wrecked by Jesus and you're like, God, I don't even want to say words. What can I say? Like, what can I say when we behold your face? What can I say when we behold your likeness? What can I say when I remember how you saved me from sin and death and a pit of suffering and shame and unworthiness? What can I say? Oh, Jesus. All right, I'm going to make an attempt. It'll be something. It was um, back on Easter Sunday, and the Lord began to really just stir my heart in this message, and... I had the opportunity to, to share this, uh, you know, form of this with our staff, with our, with our worship teams. But the Lord just began to stir this message. And it happened after Easter when I hope you all were able to make it to the Easter service. I don't know. It was just so good. My heart was so warmed with just a choir of voices. I mean, we've always wanted to have a choir. So shout out to everyone who, who served in the choir. Just hearing God's people, and all y'all were also pretty much the choir. Y'all were singing loud that week. I don't know what happened. So, But we were just singing and, and celebrating the worthiness of Jesus and all that he did for us. And my heart was just warmed. And so we, we went home and we went to Duncan and Kate's house, Jess's parents, and we were doing a little Easter egg hunt. How many did an Easter egg hunt with their kids? Anyone in this room? Yeah. And... We had our three little kids running around and our fourth bouncing around in Jess's belly. She's one week from her due date today, up here, emceeing at the women's conference last night, emceeing. Shout out to you, Jess. You're incredible. And we're at Duncan and Kate's. We're with Jess's grandparents. We're with my kids. We're, we're obviously there in Duncan and Kate. And I'm looking across the four generations and all of a sudden, the Lord just stirred my heart, and he just reminded me, this is what it's all about. Like, this is it. It's about family. It's about legacy. Over any sense of significance, searching the world for significance, looking to the praise of man to satisfy our hearts. Like, this is it. Jesus, to to go from a Sunday morning with a, a body of people whom I love and then to go hang out with my kids and their grandparents and, with, and, and great-grandparents. And whether you 
come from a legacy of believers or whether you are about to create a legacy of believers, there is legacy for you. And so my heart was just like stirred in this moment that Jesus, this is it. We're not, we're not chasing fame. We're not chasing to be some well-known people in our jobs or in our church or in any sort of thing. Like it's about this. It's about family. It's about, it's about, it's about legacy. It's about you, Jesus. And so I just felt the Lord like reaffirming this like the simplicity of following Jesus and the purity of following Jesus. And like, what does it look like to be transformed daily into the likeness of Jesus? That's what we're required to do. That's what, that's what we've been given the privilege of doing all the days of our lives is being transformed into his likeness daily. You know, to follow Jesus, to live by his example, to follow in his footsteps, to follow in his nature, to be like him, is to follow a man who was the antithesis of a superstar. It was the opposite. You know, Jesus, when things would be going well, when the conference or the, the meeting was at its peak moment and something was about to break loose and happen, he'd be like, all right, I'm just going to go hang out with my father somewhere else. If he was at our women's event, it was probably amazing last night. Jesus might have just been like, this has been great. Now I'm going to go spend time with God. Have a great night. It's like he was more concerned with the Father than he was the world around him. And, you know, he would, he would, things would be going so well, he would have the largest following he'd ever had. And he would turn to his people with little to no explanation and say, hey, in order to continue following me, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. If I said that this morning and you had no context of scripture, you would, you would leave, rightfully so. Please don't eat my flesh or drink my blood. I am very human. And, you know, he would make, actively make decisions that would seemingly limit his influence, Right? He would do things, he'd flip tables, and if you wanted to make it in the wealthy crowds or in the religious crowds, you wouldn't be hanging out with the broken, with the prostitutes, with the tax collectors, with the sinners, but there he was. And to follow Jesus is to follow a man who, follow a savior who didn't come to be served, but he came to serve the world. He came to serve the world. And... I just felt like convicted over the last like few years just seeing some, some, of, some of those in the body of Christ who somehow missed the message so, so badly that they forgot to love their enemies. They forgot to love those who disagree with them. And it's one thing to disagree with somebody and it's another thing to be unkind and ungodly and unrighteous. To follow the man, the servant of the earth, the servant of the world, is to be a servant, to be his royal priesthood. And if somehow we read the scriptures and our theology leads us to being prideful or arrogant or puffed up or angry or unkind, it's like we missed the point. God did not say, go, and be, go therefore into all the world and be a Facebook warrior. 
and slander those around you who need, who need Jesus, actually. Who they might not realize it, but they are desperate and they are hungry and they are thirsty and they are in need of a savior. You know, I heard Michael Kulionos recently and he, he said, it kind of, it just struck me. He said, how many of us as the church are more comfortable with the victorious line of Judah than the Lamb of God, the Son of Suffering? It's like, Jesus, to follow you, it's our, it's our absolute privilege to minister to your heart and to serve the world around us like you serve the world. Because the world around you, that's his bride. And one day he's going to come back for his bride. It's going to be a glorious day for those of us who believe in Jesus with all our hearts. And so, as I'm, as I'm looking at my family, as I'm looking at the generations, the Lord was stirring my heart and I wrote down these five little things I want to share with you all that I felt the Lord was stirring us towards to be. I wrote this, I wrote faithfulness over fame, a healthy community over superstars, purity over performance, passion over perfection, and presence over plan. Faithfulness over fame, a healthy community over superstars, purity over performance, passion over perfection, and presence over plan. So what does it look like to, to make that our end as we follow Jesus? What does it look like to follow Jesus in a way that truly changes us? If our beliefs, if our core values, they don't change the way we act, they don't change the way we live our lives, they're simply wishful thinking. It's like what does it look like to have Jesus deeply known on the inside of us and how does that transform us in our daily walk? And how does that transform us and how we act to the world around us? Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to open up in verse 14 and read the parable of talents. Leading up to this moment, Jesus is teaching in the temple. He's teaching to the religious leaders, to those in the temple. And he's warning them against hypocrisy. And, you know, obviously the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they don't really like this. They're not taking it super well, but Jesus is warning them nonetheless. And Jesus begins to make his way from the temple, and he begins to head towards the Mount of Olives with his disciples. And as he's leaving the temple, with the temple in sight, this beautiful building, sign and a wonder, so much history, right? He, he turns to and he begins to talk about the end times and its destruction, and I'm sure his disciples, based on what's about to happen, are probably like, what? Like, what do you, like, what do you mean? They don't understand it. They don't get it. And so Jesus and his disciples, they arrive at the Mount of Olives, and they sit down, and his disciples come to him, and they're like, what are you talking about? Like, t tell us about the end times. What does this mean? What do you mean the destruction of the temple, right? And so Jesus begins to teach them warning and signs for the end times, and then he begins to tell them about the kingdom of heaven, and he begins to share with them parables, the parable of the ten virgins, and then where we're going to pick it up here, the parable of the talents. Verse 14, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them, and to one he gave five talents, to another two 
and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them. Excuse me. And made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And he who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Now look, I have gained two more talents besides them. And Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, listen, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed, and I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I love, I was, I was reading this again and pouring over this as I was preparing for this weekend. And it was striking me kind of a, on a, a renewed level. You know when that happens when you read the scripture? You may have seen it there before, but it's just, it's kind of once again washing over you. And I'm seeing that, that wicked and, and lazy servant and his belief about the master had a direct correlation on his behavior. And I'm reading this and the, this thought kind of provokes my mind. Like I wonder how much time that servant you know, if Jesus was to go on further and explain more of the this, this story and tell more of the parable, I wonder how much that servant would have actually taken time to know the master. Because when I read this, when I look at this, when I begin to pick apart the scripture, the master didn't seem incredibly unkind. You know, to, he gave away his talents, he gave away his wealth to his servants for them to multiply, but he gave them influence, he gave them favor, and all he asked was that they be fruitful on some level. And then when they've proven themselves faithful, when they've proven themselves uh, to be fruitful with those talents, he turns to him, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with little. You will be given much. Like, enter into the joy of your Lord. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And Jesus is even so kind that he says to this, the master, he, which is a picture of our Lord, right? He says, listen, even if you have produced the littlest amount of interest by placing it in a bank that would have been something that would have been okay. But because of his belief, because of his fear, because of him not knowing the master, instead he hid this thing in the ground. 
And I think this is so comparable to the world around us, to those people that sometimes we're arguing with that think differently than us. It's like, if you only knew how good the master is. If you only knew the Jesus we serve, if you only understood the kindness that his rules, that his boundaries are for us. They're to protect us, they're to love us, they're to guide us. They're to make us into his, his likeness and his goodness. And one day, there is coming a day when the master is returning. This is a picture of the end times for us. And on that day, it will be a glorious day for those of us. And it's like all the scriptures all are asking of us, all Jesus is asking of us is saying, you just have to be faithful with something. And I think this is actually a great kindness if we think about it. He's like, listen, even if you produce some interest in the bank, to be fruitful on some minor level is enough. And listen, every single one of you, look around at the people to your left and your right, every single one of us can be fruitful in some way in our lives, amen? Come on, turn to somebody and say, you are a faithful one of God. You know, in three of the four Gospels, Jesus, at the time of harvest, he looks to a fig tree not bearing fruit, and he curses it to never bear fruit again. It's like all the Lord is asking that in some way we be faithful with our little lives, with our little yeses, and we say, okay, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll serve you. You're my example. I'm not going to look to man. I'm not going to look to the world. I'm going to look to you, Jesus. Whether I've been given five, ten, or five hundred talents, I'm going to be faithful. Or maybe I've been given like half a talent. Speaking to myself, maybe. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. And I'm like, God, I can be faithful with my life. I can say yes. I can steward the seeds you've, you've placed in my life. You know, I loved, recently I heard Michael Miller at an upper room, and he was talking about this moment in Scripture, and he says, you'll notice Jesus didn't say, well done, good and influential servant. He didn't say, well done, good and famous servant. Well done, good and productive servant. As Jeremy Grubb and I were chatting after first service, he didn't say, well done, good and busy servant. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. And I've read this scripture a bunch of times, so I decided to, to dive into that word faithful. It's the Greek word pistos. And it's this picture of kind of faithfulness and fruitness, uh, fruitfulness in business, in our transactions, in our dealings, in our lives. But it's also used in the New Testament to talk about like a sense of trustworthiness and, and almost like a reliability and a faithfulness. And it's also used as like almost being trustworthy in our beliefs of Jesus is how it's translated in other scriptures. Faithful in our belief of Jesus that he died on the cross, that he is the Messiah. Faithful that he came as a man and he died on our behalf and took on our sins. It's like, can we do that? Can we be found faithful? Can we be found trustworthy in our beliefs, in our dealings, in our lives unto Jesus? Because this is how we're called to live our lives. To be the servant of all, to not serve ourselves, but to serve him, to serve Jesus. To serve the world around us. Daily and weekly and monthly and yearly. <laughs> You know, we see that Jesus, Jesus didn't ask us to do anything he wasn't willing to do himself. It's like Jesus actually lived a life in submission to the Father. Yeah. 
as we're called to look to Jesus, as we're called to look to him as our example, as we're called to submit ourselves to his leading, to his guiding as our shepherd, to his voice, it's like Jesus says, you know, I can do nothing, the son can do nothing of himself, but only what he sees the father doing. It's like Jesus came and he lived a life that was like, what are you doing, Jesus? I'm gonna mirror it here on earth. I'm gonna serve the way you're asking me to serve. I'm gonna serve you and I'm gonna serve this world. And it's like, can we look to Jesus as the one, as the author and perfecter of our faith, as the chief end of man, to glorify God and enjoy him forever? He is the object of our affection. He is the end. He is the purpose of our creation. And you know, it's like, there might be a day where we receive some sort of promotion or we have a plan and it comes to fruition or we have some dream and it happens. But it's almost as if it's like along the way, how was your heart? Were you following Jesus or were you following the end goal? Or let's put it this way, was Jesus the end goal or was the outcome the end goal? And the purity of our hearts in the journey, it matters far more than the outcome. And it's like one day we might receive the promotion, we might receive the, the fame, we might receive this great, amazing thing and plan. And we know even the Lord has plans for our lives. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you. The Lord has plans for his people. But never let the plans become the, the goal. Jesus is the goal. Plans is the stuff. And so Jesus, can we set you as that pearl of great prize, as our reward. Can we one day, even not just in the lowly moments, not just in the hard moments, give you the praise you, you deserve, but even when we're put on worldly pedestals that we didn't ask for. Can we still point to you, Jesus? Can we still keep you the main thing in our lives? Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. I love this, this moment of time in Scripture. We see King Solomon, and he's, uh, he kind of comes at this crossroads moment where he's presented with a great offer from the Lord. And how many know if God comes and presents you with an offer and says, ask anything you desire, that's a pretty big deal. And so verse 3, we're going to pick it up and read all the way down to verse 13. It says, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. And now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, and God said, excuse me, he said, ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father, David, but I am a little child, and I do not know how to go, in, how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, 
too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And this speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all of your days. You see this beautiful moment where that pure heart of Solomon is kind of brought to the front stage of scripture. And when he's, when he's before the Lord after burning all these, these thousand sacrifices and it says that he loved the Lord and the Lord was so attracted to Solomon's love for him that he, he comes to him and he says, what do you want? Ask of anything. And this moment where Solomon is presented with kind of endless opportunity, what is the intention and the purity of his heart? He says, Lord, if I'm to do what you've asked me to do, I need wisdom. Lord, if I am to lead these people, if I am to, as you said, follow my father, King David, and be on this throne and lead these people who, Lord, is too numerous to count, help. Help me, Jesus. Help me, God. Back then, rather. And I love this picture of, like, he, he recognized his need for the Lord. And the Lord was so pleased that the Lord is like, you can have all the riches and honor as well, by the way. So what's the condition of our hearts when we face those crossroad moments? What's the condition of our hearts this very moment? Is it like, is it Jesus or is it the stuff we're after? Are we, are we saying, Lord, I'm going to be faithful to the little you've given me, or Lord, I'm going to chase the praise of man and significance in some way or manner or form? You know, it's, I love something Michael Culliano said. He said, it's easy to talk about purity and it's a whole other thing to build your life, your ministry, your business with purity. It's like when you put people of purity in, sometimes you're saying no to the gifted ones because you'd rather have the pure ones. And I'm like, with the Holy Spirit's help, like in our jobs, in our connect groups, on the stage, like whatever it is, let us be a people of purity as the Lord has called us to be. That he is the, the main thing. He is the first thing. He is the first place, the only thing in our lives. You know, I remember, I remember when I, about almost 10 years ago, I just had my last Ignited Youth meeting they threw a little party for me. Shout out to Jacob Scheller, our new youth pastor. Stand up. <laughs> Parents, this is our new youth pastor. He's absolutely amazing, and he loves Jesus like crazy. This is his beautiful wife. Stand up. This is his beautiful wife, Jenna. She's amazing. So they threw me a little party, and it you know, gets you feeling all nostalgic. So I'm thinking about, I'm preparing this message, and I'm thinking about leaving my home to come down to Raleigh almost 10 years ago. I got the privilege of coming and doing a little youth camp with Jess and 
that went super well. I ended up leading the youth camp alongside Jess, who was my girlfriend at the time. Whoop, whoop. And I thought I was just coming to be like a counselor or something. And then I ended up like jumping in and helping her lead the thing. Just as like some boyfriend is Canada. Thank God that wasn't weird and didn't go bad, right? <laughs> and, um, and so I came and I did this camp and Jess was the youth intern at the time. So she knew me. I'm sure she would have been like, she wouldn't have been dating me unless I was awesome, right, babe? Because that speaks to you. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to like make it not seem so awkward. Anyways, all that to say, the youth camp went super well. And they're like, Aaron, we want you to come down be here and be our youth pastor. And so I met with Murray and Ash and Duncan and Kate and Adam Walton at the time and Carlos Rodriguez and all these people that kind of go through the ringer. And I remember going home and I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I won't go just for a girlfriend. I need to hear your voice. And so... Very quickly, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Aaron, go. And I'm like, I'm, I remember this moment where uh, I was actually in the shower, and the Lord said, serve me in my house, and I will provide. And so I thought, okay, God, you're saying go, I'm going to go. And so I remember this moment with my dad. My parents were here this morning. They took the kids home for, uh, during the second service. But I remember this moment with my dad where all the cars packed up. I'm in my little 2000 Toyota Camry, it was a stick shift, one of my stick shift lovers in the house. I don't drive one anymore and it's sad, I, I miss it every day. I think Jesus would drive a stick shift, anyways. Okay, and um, it's a joke, I have no, there's no biblical basis for that. But <laughs> I remember this moment, I'm about to get in the car and my dad comes over to me and we're in the kitchen and my dad I hadn't seen him like this many times in my life. And he comes over to me, and I just remember seeing his shoulders heaving, and he starts, he's sobbing. Like he's about to see his son, 23 years old, drive 800 miles down to the south and say yes to following Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting emotional. I'm like, dude, you're never allowed to leave. You're going to work in this church, okay? Um, Unless the Lord speaks, I'll just argue with the Lord a lot. Anyways, I shouldn't. It's a joke. But the point is, my dad's crying, and he holds me, and he's just heaving. He's crying. He's sobbing. And he says, he says, son, remember, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And it's like, that's it. It's like, can we say yes to Jesus? To be faithful, to abide in Jesus, as that word says, to believe in Jesus and abide in him, that's, that's what we're asked to do. That's what we're called to do. And how we be fruitful, how we be faithful with the little, how we be faithful with the seeds in our life is to abide in Jesus. It's to abide. John 15, verse 5 through 8, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, hear this, for apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. It's great news. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you much, bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is it. 
This is the Christian walk. This is what it is like to be one of those servants who's found faithful. It's to abide in Jesus Christ. It's on our own, we're hopeless. You know the number one thing I was terrified to come down here and do? I was like, what am I gonna preach on all the time? I was terrified. I was like, I was genuinely scared. I was like, 23 years old, I'm like, what am I gonna preach on? I've done ministry school, ministry school. I've, you know, I've, I felt called to this most of my life, my parents being kind of missionaries and church planners. I've wanted to do this, but oh my gosh, this is actually happening. And it's like, oh my gosh, I need Jesus. It's like I was so aware in that moment when my dad say, said, God doesn't you know, call the qualified, he qualifies the called, that I needed Jesus to come and qualify me because on my own I was hopeless. And it's like, oh Jesus, we need you. We're so aware. Lord, we can't, we can't be good parents without you. We can't be good colleagues. We can't be good employees. We can't be good bosses. We can't be good people. We would be intolerable without Jesus. It's like, my daughter was testing my patience. She got into Jess's makeup five times this weekend. Got makeup all on the, on the couch, on the rug, all over her face. And I was, knowing, knowing I was preaching this message, I was like, oh Jesus, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. I need you to be a good parent in this moment because my little Hurricane Sayla is driving me nuts. And so I'm like digging deep. Listen, everybody, we need Jesus to love Jesus. When I was a teenager, I would pray this prayer. I had my life super impacted at the youth conference back in Catch the Fire Toronto back in the day. So I really loved the Lord. And when those moments where my heart would grow distant or cold or faint, I would just say, Lord, help me want to want you more. Oh, Jesus, I need you. I need you to need you more. I want you to want you more. Help me hunger and thirst for you. And this abiding that Jesus is talking about in John 15, it's not just a list of tasks. It's not just reading our Bible enough. It's not just praying enough. It's not just worshiping enough. That is the fruit of the abiding life. But this abiding is a picture of our salvation to abide in Jesus Christ, to abide in him as he went to the cross, as he went to the grave, and as he was raised back up that we abide in him, in his nature, in his likeness, that we desire him, that we long for him, that we keep our love on for Jesus. So the question this morning is simple. Is he the object of your affection? Do we love him? Are there little idols in our lives that have kind of taken his place? Or have we fallen for the praise of man, or the significance of man? It's happening in the church too. We see celebrity Christianity everywhere, left, right, and center. And it's like, Jesus, may we be a people found faithful. Even if you fill this church, even if, as you showed Duncan many years ago, a, ten, a church of 10,000, Lord, even if that happens, May it not ever be a celebrity church. May it be a church that's about Jesus Christ and his name and his nature and his word. Because one day, the, the bridegroom is coming back and he's gonna say to those of us who are faithful with that little, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So I charge us today to put him first. 
far above any praise of man or empty pride, to follow his voice more than the opinions of others, to live in purity of heart and continually invite him to examine our hearts. As David says, search me and know me, God. See if there be any wicked way in me. We're a a house that believes in healing of heart. That Lord, search me and know me. Is there any unforgiveness in my life? Is there any ungodliness? Is there any ungodly beliefs in my life? Because the calling is to be and live like you, Jesus, not to live in that. And then together as a community, can we pursue faithfulness over fame, a healthy community over superstars, purity over performance, passion over perfection, presence over plan, and servants over self-serving. You know, even in this church and in ministry and many ministries, there's, there's messages about being Levites set apart for the Lord. I've heard it a lot of times, especially in messages to worship leaders. And whilst I think there's a beautiful thing of this sort of set apart for the work of ministry, blah, 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 it's like we are all the priesthood of God. We are all called to ministry. And it's like there's, there's one thing to be up here. I've, I've felt, I've burned for the local church my whole life looking to my parents' example. But some of you burn for something completely different and it is righteous and it is good if the Lord has placed it in your heart and in your life. And you get to be faithful in your sphere of influence. And it's like there's something equally beautiful. I was shouting out Esperanza this morning, one of our worship leaders here. It's equally beautiful to be a full-time architect who happens to lead worship on Sunday morning at this church. And so I want to encourage us as the body of Christ, as we pursue family over fame, as we pursue being a healthy community over significance, it's like find a place to get plugged in, to be known, to be seen, to be heard. Not, not Not for us, not for any sense of leadership, literally for you to find a family, to find a home, to to find the place to be known, the community within the community. It's why we love connect groups. My family did a lot of house churches growing up, which is essentially the same thing as a connect group. And I loved it. I had my my two friends who got saved out of high school. And years later, when my friend was in college and his, his girlfriend dumped him and he was far from the Lord and he calls us, we left everything and we drove down like three hours to go be with him and pray with him because... That was my community. That was, that was the man I could be faithful with in that moment as the Lord called me to be. And it's like we're called to be faithful with our spheres of influence. You know, I've been stirred recently. I was, we spent some time with Jesse Green race, recently. He's, gonna, he's this awesome revivalist. She's going to be coming to our Overflow Conference. The Lord called her and her husband out to Wilmington, and they're doing these, like, revival tent meetings, and she's amazing. She's fiery. But I was kind of, I'm letting you to my internal dialogue for a minute, but I kind of was like thinking of like this tension of revival and legacy. And hear me out for a second. It's like on one hand, we are so desperate and need you to sovereignly show up, Jesus. And on another hand, we are the sovereign move of God. The church has last generations after generations after generations. And what does it look like to be a healthy community of those who love him? with their whole lives and whole hearts. It's almost this kind of picture I was seeing it in in scripture of the Israelites moving through the desert with this mobile expression, the Ark of Covenant, the, the, the presence of the Lord, moving into the promised land, into establishing cities and building a temple. 
and saying, Lord, it's, we don't just want like a temporary dwelling place. We want a habitation. We don't want a visitation. We want a habitation. And the Lord shows us in scripture that he would. He'll come and he'll inhabit places. It's biblical. So Lord, let our lives, let this church, let our homes, let our businesses be a dwelling place, be a habitation place for you, for your presence, for you, Jesus. So I want to ask us that today. Are we, are we aware of our need for Jesus? Let's take a moment and do some self-examination. Are we aware of our need for Jesus? Right here at 2304 Page Road, Durham, North Carolina. Jesus, are we hungry? Are we desperate? Are we thirsty? It's the greatest gift the Lord gave us in John 15. It's apart from me, you can do nothing. All we have to do is abide in the one who gives life and we will be fruitful. So are we abiding in Jesus? Do I love you as much now as the day I met you? Do I love you today as the day when I received salvation, when I heard the good news? And I felt as I was preparing for this morning, I felt the Lord drop 2 Corinthians chapter 6 in my heart, verse 2, where Paul says, in the time of favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the time of favor, and now is the day of salvation. And I just felt the Lord in that moment kind of quicken me, and I felt him say over us this weekend, if you need him, you can have him. Today is the day of salvation. If you need him, you can have him. If you need him, you can have him. So I've asked the team to come and lead us in that song, Holy, which was just wrecking me this morning. There is no one, none found worthy, no one like you, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. I want you to invite you to stand. We're going to begin to worship in a second. Jesus, are we aware of our need for you? Are we hungry? Are we thirsty? I've tried it on my own. <laughs> and we really need you. So I felt that, that quickening in my spirit that it's, again, it's a super simple call this morning. If you need him, you can have him. So if you're in this room and you need him, I just want to invite you to come down to the front and begin to worship him as we go into this song. With no compulsion, with no, <laughs> no forcefulness. Like This is between you and the Lord. If you need him, you can have him. And if you're in this room and you're like, I don't, I don't even 
recognize my need for Jesus. Just pray this simple prayer with me. Lord, would you help me need you? Would you help me to burn for you? Would you help me to be hungry, to be desperate, to be thirsty with you? Lord, I can't do it on my own. I've tried in my own strength. I've tried in my own way. I've tried everything out there. But I need you this morning. And I feel like the Lord is just going to, he's walking around the room and he's bringing fresh encounter with his presence. Come on, I just feel like there's a few more, not out of compulsion. I just don't want us to miss this moment. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Come on, you can continue to come as we begin to sing this bridge. to give him the honor and the praise that he's due. If our ministry team, our pastors just begin to go around and lay hands on one another. I just feel like the Lord's saying, if there's anyone in here who struggles with some form of mental illness, that the Lord wants to heal mental illness this morning. So whatever that looks like, depression, anxiety, split personality, bipolar, if that's you and you want to see a miracle in your life, come down to the front for prayer. Jesus, thank you that you're healing minds, you're healing lives. Father, you healed a mass in Jess's ovary and you can heal a broken mind today. That today is the day of salvation. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, today is the day of the Lord's favor. Today is the day of the Lord's salvation. Let us not wait another moment. Let us not wait another second, but let us come to your feet to your face, Jesus, the worthy one. Come on, sing it out.
I just, I just felt the Lord quickening my heart and I felt him saying that, that this is it. This, the, the place, not this building, not this stage, not this floor, but the position of our hearts where we come before the altar of the Lord and we say, Jesus, I recognize my need for you. This is the place, the place of, of, of need, of hunger, of thirstiness, of brokenness, of our need and desperation for Jesus. This is not just some made up moment on a Sunday morning at this church. This is a moment that can be taken with us everywhere we go in our jobs, in our families, in our workplaces, as we're doing our best to be great parents and we say, Jesus, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you in this moment. Catch the fire. Let's just lift our hands and praise Jesus. There is only one found word. We give you glory in this house, Lord. Jesus Christ. 